down 10. And uh, good to have Joe McBride here with us tonight. And um, my hat's off uh, to Ray. have somebody here at church with them on Sunday nights and uh, I'm thankful for that and uh, also good to see brother Stephen and sister Laurie Williams uh, if you wonder sometimes most of you know them but if you wonder who we pray for in our prayer revivals uh, they pastor down in Sims and um, surprised that they slipped in here tonight but I'm glad glad they're here Reese, good to have. Always good to have Reese. He's always got some kind of action going on around him. And uh, glad to have him. And I gave you a 15-minute introduction this morning, and I'm not going to rehash that. Um, but I would like to just kind of... I said I wasn't going to read all of it this morning, and I ended up reading all of it. So let, let me just read the first um, two verses, and then we'll pick up uh, where we left off this morning. Psalm chapter 10, and beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in, their, in the devices that they have imagined. And um, I want to, uh, let's get down to verse 16. Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Let's ask the Lord to help us uh, here tonight. Receptive heart, open mind, and, um, and just, just to feel the presence of the Lord here tonight. Lord, I am, again, thankful for your word. I, I know I say that so many times. But Lord, it is a great stabilizing force, Lord, in my life. And I know, God, that there are others, Lord, here that, that they have that same, Lord, feeling towards your word. And I ask you, Lord, for the next little while, that, Lord, that you would stimulate our minds and help us, God, to see our world, Lord, with a much clearer eye after, Lord, we have been exposed to your word. I pray, Lord, that tonight on this sanctuary, on this congregation, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. You may 
be seated. <coughs> and I am going to again, um, this will be part two, and um, I want to preach to you on, on this thought about a prayer for justice against the wicked. And um, I, again, won't go into the part. I, I appreciate everybody praying this morning uh, in the altar service. I, I, um, I felt the presence of the Lord here, and I, I noticed there was a number of you that uh, you very much connected with what we were praying for and what we were praying about. And uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very thankful for that. And that verse there in Psalm 1, and, and I bribed um, Colton, um, told him I was going to give him an outline, and I'm going to give him an outline here tonight. And uh, if it looks good, Colton, I'm going to treat you better than, than what my son did, okay? I don't know what he gave you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you better than he did, okay? You may already have a deal going with him already that I didn't know about. You did? Well, I guess you're going to get a double whammy. Whatever it was, it's going to be twice as good. And um, I think I think our kids ought to be able to track with preaching. And um, I'm, I'm going to do my best not to make it so complicated that um, he can't follow along. But I want to uh, start in this first verse here, and I think all of us at times, we have felt exactly like uh, David did, and, and here is the first part. Verse 1 is an alarming question. Um, he asked, he said, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord, why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? That, that is an alarming question. It's a question that, that no doubt all of us at, at some point, and I, was, had been, I had spent a fair amount of time this past week, uh, really, with their, and even the week before, with the intentions of preaching several messages about holiness, and I will pick back up with that. Uh, but because of the events that took place this week, I kind of veered into uh, this, this psalm here that, that David writes. And so he comes out and he asks that. He, he, asked, he asked that question. Lord, where, where are you at? We all have felt at times probably the distance from God. But why was it? that he felt that distance? Well, the answer is, is in verses 3 and 4 and in verse 11. Verses 3 and 4 says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And then in verse 11, again, the wicked, he had said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He, he hideth his face. He will never see it. 
And so these verses here, verses 3 and 4 and verse 11, shows us the actions of the wicked. It just shows us this is how that they act. And I think that, that David in that question that he gives there, he, he, he helps us to see that these actions that take place in our world, that and they're not so much against man as they are against God. And there's deception that takes place in the hearts of those, of those people because they think that their violence or their actions or whatever is, is against man. But, but David tells us that ultimately that this is an operation that is against God. And he even describes it. He said that, that these people, they brag on their sin because it was the desire of their heart. And, and then this man, he exalts himself. He, he exalts the man that gains money by dishonest means and by these ways where that he works and, and he gets that money in a way that is, is, not, is not good. That brings to mind the abortion industry that, that our world uh, has here today. That there are people that they are getting un, un, just evil gain from what they are involved in. And, and David mentions that here. He he also describes them. He says they, they refuse to seek after the Lord. And he never even thinks about having God in all of his thoughts. Now, that's a New Testament thought that Paul picks up in Romans chapter 1. And, and then he picks it up in Romans chapter 3. But what is it? that motivates all of this and the answer to that question is it is in verse 2 and and we'll get to that a little bit more a little later on but but what motivates that is is a matter of pride that there is is pride that is before uh, these people and all that should motivate us uh, as men and women in our service to the Lord is to do everything that we can to oppose and to stop pride that would somehow try to worm its way in uh, to our lives and and I know that that again that you probably all have been around people before that. Uh, that, that there was a condescension, that there was a pride, that there was something that come out of them that, that you felt less of a child of God whenever you were around them listening to their exploits and to all that they had, had done in a particular way. But, but pride makes us silly boasters and it makes us braggarts. And that's why that, that everybody that's building a church needs to understand what Jesus said to his disciples. He told them, he said, I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell. They're not going to prevail against the church or against, the, yeah, they're, they're not going to prevail against the church. Now, obviously, all of us have to work and there's an involvement that is needed in the work of the church. But at the end of the day, Whenever I look at what is done, even in this church, all the glory, it has to go to God because if it's man-centered and man-focused, it's going to implode and it's going to come to nothing. 
And so it is that, that you look at that, but it's especially more contemptible when you hear boasters and braggarts coming from the, the mouth of, of, of sinners. And, and yet that, that is the part of the routine that a lot of times that sinners have a tendency to, to glorify God. There was a neurosurgeon in our town, and it was a long time ago. And, um, and I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it's been 35 years ago, so God rest uh, his soul. But anyways, he was going down the hall at, at, uh, at one of our hospitals, and, and there was a per- person there that had a, a head bleed, and they were going to operate. And, of course, the family was in, in, uh, in, in they, were, they were worried. And, and they asked this doctor, the doctor, can we pray uh, for for the Lord to be with you in the operating room. And he turned around and looked at him and he said, I'll tell you what, he said, God's not going to be in that operating room with me. And it kind of stunned uh, those that, that family whenever he said that. And so just a matter of less than a month later, this same neurosurgeon and and uh, it was not Dr. Woodham. So if you're thinking that it might have been him, it was not him, it was before his time. And... Uh, <laughs> And so this neurosurgeon was in, in the surgical intensive care unit at Flowers and, and uh, our table was sitting up and, and uh, there was an elevated chair that, that he sat on and so he sat down up there on that chair and when he sat down, he didn't realize that his back was not against the backrest and so he leaned back and when he leaned back, it was like it was in slow motions. It was like, oh, Bang, and the guy hits the floor. And some of the nurses said, Oh my, God has fell over on the floor. Now, y'all should laugh a little harder at that, I think. <laughs> but, but there's just something about it that whenever you see people that, that have that kind of attitude to sort of brag about it, that... That, that there's a tendency, I'll tell you, it causes something to rise up on the inside of every one of us. And, and yet, they practice sin on such a regular basis that it, that it almost appears that, uh, that, that God is indeed absent and does not care about what they are saying or what they are doing. So, so how... Does that work whenever these people that the elites that are in so-called in charge of, of our world right now, that, that God is, is blasphemed and, and the greediness that is there is like how much more do you need? How much more property? How much more money? How much more status? How much more do you need in this world? And yet God is blasphemed and God is not sought for. And God is, as the psalmist, as David says, is shut out of their thoughts. And Paul echoes that again in Romans chapter 1 and says that they, are, that they are not there. And then in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says that they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. What does that mean? That means that there is an element of truth that is in their lives, but they push it down with their actions so that they cannot respond to God. At the root of that's pride. And it is ever so hard to 
and get a proud man to bend his knee in a place of prayer. It's hard for a man to have what the psalmist says is a broken and a contrite spirit. And, and I would just, just say here today that there ought to be brokenness in our prayer. There, there ought to be tears in our prayers. And I know sometimes that, that some of you may look at me and you may think, oh dear, he's, he's crying when he's praying. Let me tell you something. The more of a burden that you feel, the more of an emotion that you will feel in your prayer. And if there is no tears in our prayers, then maybe it's because we are at a place where that we are prayerless. Because prayer always is going to be mixed with brokenness if it has any, any forward progress in it. Thomas Manton said it like this. He said, pride gave us the first merit of death and envy gave us the first instant of it. The one was the mother and the other the midwife of human ruin. Adam was a sinner, but Cain was a murderer. And their envy tasted blood and ever since it is glutted with it. And so there is a motivation of pride. You saw that last week during all that unfolded there in uh, Uvalde, Texas. That, that what happened was you looked at that situation and you asked yourself, Lord, where is there any justice in this world against the wicked? It seems like that you're so disappointed away from us. What could motivate that to do that? And then the corruption even of some of our politicians began to bleed its way in to that. And you're almost at a loss to see the response of various people throughout that whenever the real matter and the real part is that God has been shut out of the public square here in America and God is almost absent from from our society and so God has backed away. It's the wrath of abandonment that you read about in Romans chapter 1. But what does pride do? Pride withdraws my heart from God. Pride lifts up my mind against God and it, it blinds my mind. Pride revolts against a call for me to bear a cross and pride disdains the blessings of God in exchange for the promotions of man. Pride takes God to court and accuses him and pride puts judgment and discernment and discretion it puts them to sleep and so David comes along and, and he tells us, he said, I want you to notice that this is the action of the wicked against God. This is how they react. This is what they do. And so David then, he describes that mix of pride and covetousness and, and how that it causes them to gain money through dishonest means. But when you skip down there to verse 11, notice what uh, the psalm says there in verse 11. He had said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hideth his face and he will never see it. 
That, that, is, that is what they say. But you know why? It's because sin causes them to say, well, God has forgotten it. It hadn't caught up with me yet. And so because of that, then sin somehow makes them believe that God has forgotten because what sin does is sin creates a wrong understanding of the deeds of those sinners. That's why we've got to mortify sin that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 6. He was talking to church people. He wasn't talking to the world. He was talking to Roman believers that had gotten in to the church and he said, I'm going to tell you this, you've got to mortify and you've got to kill sin in your life. And I know, I know we, we, we somehow... Preachers in years gone by, they, they keyed in on sin. But it's a rarity to hear somebody preach about sin in our pulpits. Because here's how salvation is presented. God can fix your life. God's got a better plan for your life. God can make your life so much better. That's not the call that I read about in the book of Acts. No, when Peter stood up and began to talk to him, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you're the one that killed the Lord Jesus Christ. You crucified him and you put him in a tomb and, and uh, you, you did everything you could. Stephen comes out and says that. And what was the response in Acts 7? They killed him because he preached against their sin. And that's what we all have to understand, that if our sin is not atone for and if we do not repent of our sin then we will be lost now is there blessings that comes to those that are converted absolutely there is but the fact of the matter is this is that we have to take sin seriously because it blinds us as to the effect and the impact that it has in our lives because see the inner thoughts of the wicked ones they're exposed in this very instance that I read to you here tonight what takes place outwardly is an expression of what's going on in their heart and if you want to know something about who they are watch their actions watch the direction of their life listen to what they say and whenever you listen to them talk there's an exposure of what their soul is about and who they are but look at verse 2 we talked about the actions of the wicked against God now let's look at the actions of the wicked against man. Look in verse 2. The Bible says there, the wicked in his pride, he does persecute the poor and let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. And then in Psalm 10 and verse 5, here's what he says, his ways are always grievous and thy judgments are far above out of his sight as for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He had said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His tongue is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Verse 8, he sitteth in the lurking places, in the villages, and in the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are, are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as the lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor, and he doth catch the poor when he draweth him in 
to his net, he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. And again, I, 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 I read that book and Lauren said, Dad, you talked to me and Mom about it for three days. So let me talk to you about it just for a new few minutes and then I'll, I'll move on. Um, I found that book as a book that I had bought several years ago called Dope Sick. And um, I run across it in a used bookstore. I should have bought it. It was 50 cents, but I just flipped through it, and and uh, it drew me back in. So when I got home, I started, and it uh, deals with, with the drug Oxycontin. And some of you medical folks, you're, you're aware uh, of that. It devastated the lives of so many poor people. Farmers that were, that were up in the main Farmers and, and, and foresters and uh, the coal miners in West Virginia and eastern Kentucky, it wrecked their lives because of the greed of people. And um, there's another drug that, that came out sometime around about the time that Celebrex came out. And uh, Celebrex is an anti-inflammatory. It's a good, it's a good drug because it helps people that have orthopedic uh, problems, hips, knees, and it kind of buys them a little time before that they uh, get their knee or hip replaced. And it's a, it's a good drug. At the same time, these drug companies are extremely competitive. And there was a drug called Vioxx that came out almost about the same time. And I can remember whenever... Teresa was still working for one of the orthopedic surgeons here in Dothan. That they they constantly were buying them lunch and and giving them all this these these pens and these notepads and and briefcases and various other things like that. And and Vilox ended up getting pulled off of the market because it it had some very bad effects uh, on patients' lives. And yet you look at that and I my mind is fresh on on this is that that this is exactly what's taking place in our nation. And it's not just that. It is so many other areas that, that is going on. And, and you look around and, and as you get older this is I guess this is what happens to you when you start getting older it's sort of like you start seeing things a little differently than what you did when you was young and naive in your 20s and in your 30s you start you start getting a picture of what's taking place in the world and, and you 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 feel that distance that 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 David writes about in that first verse, God, where are you at in all of this? Because we see the characteristics of the wicked. They're, they're arrogant. You see that in verses two and four through four. You see their prosperity. You see their security in verse 6. You see their vile speech in verse 7. You, you heard what Oprah had to say, that, that it's almost like there's a mockery of God that they have. And, and uh, our, our actors and actresses and, and uh, all of the, the people that, that supposedly have got their act together. And when you start listening to them talk about God, that their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. And yet they're getting more airplay than most of the righteous. And, uh, and it bothers me. Their vile speech, verse 7, 
and then the violence that you find in verse verses 8 through 11 and and uh, even some of the events that took place in the summer I think of 2020 uh, leading up to the election, now that we're finding out that there was some of the money that was being placed in areas where that it was should have been placed for to help people, now we find out that, that that money was abused and you start trying to sort that out in your mind. Where is it? Well, the Bible talked about it thousands of years ago before it ever took place. And all of these matters, they, they can be directly attached to the pride that's there in the wicked, the King James says that their ways are grievous. The ESV says their ways prosper at all times and that leads to great boasting on their part. And then I walk in the church and I look around at sometimes at people here in the church and and uh, they have financial challenges. Now, some of it's mismanagement of money, but some of it is just they just don't have enough money. And you look at where they live, and, and you see what's taking place, and, and you want to reason with the Lord. Lord, somehow I want to make a deal with you where that you'll meet and take care of this need. But, but listen to me, and I mentioned it this morning, Psalm 37, you ought to immerse yourself in that. And Psalm 73, that it addresses the prosperity of the wicked and every bit of it. It, it, it came down to this, David in 37, and the sons of Asaph in 73 that when they walked in to the sanctuary and that happened to me just a few minutes ago I was up here I was watching I was worshiping over there because I don't believe worship's a spectator sport I believe there's active in participation for, for all of us but I just happened to glance across at our praise singers here tonight and just looked at, at some of the feeling that, that some of them were expressing while that, that they were worshiping the Lord and, and there's an awareness that I have of their burdens and there's times where I prayed for, for all of them that were up here tonight but particularly four or five of them that you kind of key into and it was at that moment that I started realizing that there's great peace that comes to people whenever they come into the house of the Lord and understand this one thing. It's going to work itself out. It's going to work itself out. If you're faithful here, it's in the life to come and eternity has absolutely no comparison at all. To You may live till you're 120 years old down here, but 120 years is absolutely no comparison at all to how long eternity is going to be. And whenever you get on the other side, and whenever you have heard the words of the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I'm going to tell you, everything you've walked through, every burden, every difficulty, every challenging situation of your life is going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. And yet there again as we pray for that justice that would come against the wicked. Look, look there in verse 7. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. The, the, uh, 
The Young's literal translation says it like this. Of oats, his mouth is full and deceits and fraud. Under his tongue is perverseness and iniquity. And you start looking at that matter there. And in that one single verse, you see the destructive use of those tongues. It curses. It's filled with deceit. It's filled with fraud. And that's the characterization of the wicked. Now, how does that fit for me? May God sanctify my tongue. And so maybe I need to close my eyes when I say this, but I think probably all of us at some point in our lives have been guilty of gossip and tail-bearing and uh, falls under that famous line is, See, how does it go? Um, you need to pray for so-and-so. Uh, and, and it either works one of two ways. They either say, let me tell you what you need to pray for so-and-so, or the person that hears that was, well, why don't you tell me what you need me to pray for about so-and-so so you can get a better idea. But may God sanctify my tongue. I told somebody, it's been several years ago now, there was some stuff that was going on and and uh, some folks got hung up in some situations and talking and et cetera and so forth. And so I I told them, I said, I, I tell you what we, we, we have to do maybe with this situation is get this picture in your mind is that I'm going to take a feather pillow and I'm going to cut that feather pillow in the end and I'm going to take those feathers and shake them out in the wind and what I want you to do is to try to gather up all those feathers and there's no way to do that and so may may the Lord help me and maybe may he help you that doesn't mean that we need to suppress and cover over sin because when you try to cover it up, it always in the end does not turn out well. And so David, he, he paints them. He said, they're, they're like lines. Look at Psalm 17 and 12. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Psalm 37 and 32 the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Psalm 56 and 6, they gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps whenever they wait for my soul. Psalm 59 and 3, for lo, they wait, they lie and wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgressions nor for my sin, O Lord. And then Psalm 64 and verses 4 and 5, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect, and suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? David talks about that, about how that, that snare is being laid by the wicked to try to entrap 
people. May God keep us back from presumptuous sins. I think probably most of us would never go out and commit carnal sins of the flesh. At least I pray you wouldn't. But sometimes it's a matter of speech that gets into areas that's not helpful. And we got a lot of ways we can work on it. We can text. We can Facebook. uh, We can YouTube it. We can podcast it. And one of the greatest examples that you read about in the Bible of where that the wicked attacked the helpless was in 1 Kings chapter 21. And uh, Dad, I, I got my dad a book. Um, everybody ought to find this book's a good book. Alexander White, Old Testament, New Testament characters. And... Um, there's a character study that Alexander White, long dead Scottish preacher, but he writes a character study about Naboth. Writes it about Ahab and Jezebel, but he writes that character study about Naboth. If you're not familiar with that story, uh, he had a vineyard that had been been given to him through his family. He inherited that that vineyard. And so Ahab was the king of Israel, and he wanted that vineyard. And so he went and, and, and started pouting and, and so forth, and Jezebel came in. And, and why are you so upset? Well, Naboth has got this vineyard. I tried to buy it from him, but he won't sell it, and so I want that. And so then into action goes Jezebel. And before you know it, Naboth is dead. Ahab has that vineyard. You can read about that in 1 Kings 21. It's one of the most stories in the Bible that's filled with injustice. But hear me out. It took a while. In fact, it took about 20 years. But the Bible tells us there was a man by the name of Jehu. And Jehu ran down to a place called Jezreel. And when he got into the city, he looked up and there was Jezebel up in the window. And there were two eunuchs that were up there. And he looked up at them and asked a question, who's on the Lord's side? And they said, we are. And he said, throw her out. 20 years after the fact, threw her out. And the prophecy took 20 years, but the prophecy was true. And know this. Throughout the hallways of history, that kind of activity has been going on since day one. But know this, God always, always, it always works itself out. That's why we've got to live soberly, righteously. As Titus says, I think it's in Titus chapter 3 where that he talks about that matter. But then... We see the cry of the anguish from the godly, verse 1 and verse 13. Let's look at those. Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Look at verse 13. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, thou thou will not require it. And so I see in those two verses there, Colton, the cry of the anguish. 
the cry of anguish of the godly. You, you ever felt that? You, you ever felt anguish in your prayer? I think probably all of us here tonight, we're willing to admit it. You have felt anguish before in your prayer. And so David is concerned about that. He makes a connection. He says, you know what? It, it, it's almost like when the Lord is distant that these wicked men seem to gloat about what's taking place. And churches go through seasons just like individual saints. And, and uh, you, you, you will go through a season in your walk with the Lord where you, you'll feel like, Lord, where, where are you at? Churches, they have those times as well. And, and they walk and navigate through that. And, and they start wondering, what, what in the world is going on here? God, God's, you, you're distant. No, God is, he's still there. It just feels distant and we cry out and we plead with the Lord and yet we still have a distance. And I will tell you this, there can be great spiritual weariness that settles in on believers and even some of those in, in, in church work. I heard a story last Sunday night, I was coming home from Kentucky and stopped in with uh, in, there in Danville on my way back down. Uh, as I was driving back toward home and I stopped in and he had Brother Joel Booker there with him and uh, spent about an hour and a half with them before I moved on. But Brother Booker was talking about his father, Brother Larry Booker. And uh, he said that whenever they moved to uh, the church that they're in now, that they got in one of these, one of these seasons that uh, it just felt like that, that God's absent, he's not there. And uh, Brother Booker, Brother Joel Booker, he said, I was a kid. And uh, he said, I, re I remember going in the church. And he said, my dad didn't know that I was there in the church. He said, I could hear my dad wailing and crying and pleading with the Lord to send revival and to somehow to, to bring life to that church there. And he said that season lingered for a little while. It, it, it lasted. It, it lasted for more than just a few weeks and went into to, to some months there. And he said, yet my dad, my mother and my dad, he said they knew that they were in the will of God, but they were praying and crying and pleading with the Lord. And Brother Booker told us, he said, in one Sunday, he said, our attendance he said, we doubled our attendance in one Sunday. He said, we went from 80 people. And he said, the next Sunday, he said, there was 165. And he said, that kind of opened up the season of revival. I got in the car and started heading south. I was like, Lord, again, I'm just telling you now, the goal is not to build a big church, but the goal is to get people in the kingdom of God. That's the goal. I prayed. I was like, Lord, those stories. I know I talked to Brother Stephen Williams, and there's times where that, that he expresses that same thought that God bring revival 
to our churches. It's, it's in moments of weariness and you feel like there's a distance that you have and, and you look around and, and it seems like the wicked are getting stronger and stronger and, and the elites, the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization and it seems like that they're just crushing the poor under their feet and you're like, Lord, please, we don't want more money. We just want a revival and spiritual awakening and I pray here tonight that all of us, that whenever you get in that moment that you feel distant from God, that you do not let the devil lie to you and confuse you and get you so punch drunk that you say, I'm going to throw in the towel and quit. You be faithful. God's not called us to be successful. He's called us to be faithful. And if we will be faithful, there's so much that the Lord can do. So much the Lord can do. But look at verse 12. The Bible says there, this is a prayer request of the righteous. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and forget not the humble. Look at verse 15. Now, you have to be careful with this. This is an imprecatory prayer. Don't spoil it for him, Brother Walters. This is, imp- this is what you call an imprecatory prayer. Uh, imprecatory prayers means that you want judgment to be poured out. And so look at verse 15. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. <laughs> Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You have, you, thou wilt prepare their heart and you will cause your ear to hear to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Now, there's a few other imprecatory prayers that David writes scattered throughout the psalm. In one place, he wanted the Lord to break their jaws. In another place, he asked the Lord to knock their teeth out. And so be careful if you get to praying those kind of prayers. But, but what does that boil down to is, is, is David is asking God to act. There in verse 12, he, he says, God, will you act and then in verse 14, he reminds himself, he said, God, God sees what's taking place. And then in verse 16, he says, you know what? He said, I know there's going to be an eventual judgment that's going to come to this matter if we are just faithful in the midst of all this. Now, David, we, are, we can be a lot like David. We, we want it taken care of now. But Peter addresses that in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. He said, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that when that then was being overflowed with water, it perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. Why? 
he tells us, he said, they're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And then look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein, they're going to be burned up. Rest in this fact that is certainly as the Lord changes our lives with the new birth that there is coming a judgment. And nothing that man does will escape God's judgment. Conclude with this story here. You may have heard of this man. His name was Frederick Nietzsche. And uh, he's kind of made somewhat of a comeback here in the last little bit, especially in areas where that people are concerned with socialism and even communism. But Nietzsche grew up in a home. His dad was a pastor, and uh, his his father and mother were just were just good people. And uh, he came from a long line of mis- of ministers. But whenever he was twelve years old, his dad died. And that just turned Nietzsche's heart against God. And he started just totally turning away from everything that he had learned as a child. And he started just rebelling blasphemously against God. And that led him into a place where he spent the rest of his life developing philosophies and developing things that were so anti-God And one of the things was God is dead. That was one of the things that he said. But the clock kept spinning and kept going and kept going. And later on in life, Nietzsche ended up in a mental institution. And in those days, they just basically chained you to the wall and left you to ramble around in the horrible places of mental illness. And he spent the rest of his life railing against God. And so, if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 1. Don't let this question prevail in your mind. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? That, that's not what you need to let prevail in your mind. Instead, you need to let verses 16 through 18 prevail in your mind. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble, and thou will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear And you will judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Lauren, Sister Emily, I should have sent y'all a text. I got a song picked out for y'all. And um, that song that y'all sang Um, since I'm such a excellent singer, 
uh, but the one about being surrounded with the goodness of God. And please hear me, church. You, you can get to looking at this world and you can think God is absent. Isn't that right, Brother Joe? You can start looking around and you can start saying, God, where, where are you at? But if you, if you pray about that situation and just let the Lord work on that, and uh, well, if you're a fixer, if you want to put your hands on it and fix it yourself, you, you can get in trouble with that. But if you let the Lord just work it out, I'm going to tell you, there's so much goodness that's in your life. Don't let your feet... My feet had well nigh slipped. That's what the Scripture says. Jude talks about that. And Jude said that there was a slippery place and you can get in slippery places when you start looking around at what's taking place you gotta reorient your mind you gotta say Lord I know you're not distant I know you're here I know it's been different tonight but I want us to stand and uh, if you don't mind just step out from where you're at Conclude. I want them to sing that song, and I want you to just just let your mind meditate on that song here for just a few minutes, and even on what I have preached to you here tonight. That don't let the actions of the wicked and the injustices of life cause you to forget about the goodness of God. Goodness of God.